welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. I'm here today with Kate Toon. Kate, welcome to the pod. Hello, it's lovely to be here. When we think of copywriting in Australia, we think of Kate Toon. Kate cut her teeth in the UK and Australia. Amongst others, she worked for Ogilvy, where she worked on big brands like American Express, OzPost, Hyundai, IBM, Qantas and Telstra. Since 2004, she's operated her own business. Um, And I like this. I like this a lot. Where her Twitter bio reads, Sydney's favorite copywriter, working with small businesses and big fat corporates to provide SEO copywriting that's affordable, reliable and wonderful. Uh, In 2014, she founded the Clever Copywriting School, where she still acts as copywriting trainer and mentor. She's the founder of CopyCon Conference. Um, In 2015, she launched the Hot Copy Podcast, where she's been co-host for the past seven years. She's also the host of the Recipe for SEO Success podcast, which frustratingly outranks the Smarter Marketer podcast every (laughs) every month. Kate has won or been a finalist for basically every award there is in the industry, the SEMrush Personality of the Year, Ahrefs Best SEO Pod, B&T Best of the Best, B&T Women in Media, and a bunch more. Kate, welcome to the pod. My goodness. I, I sound like an ass in you, that bio. That's but. not true. That's, not, that's all the research I've done for the pod, so we can, we can finish it here. Okay, well, I'm, an, I'm a really an enigma, so we'll get into the dark side of me in this podcast. Well, I think it, I, I kind of thought it'd be nice to, um, to just start where you're up to. Like, obviously, big career, lots of different things, the... The, um, the copywriting business, the podcast, the media stuff, the copycon, like what's what's taking up most of your time these days? I mean, really these days, it's a lot of keeping on, keeping on. I've been in that kind of empire building. I'm doing air fingers, empire building zone for like the last, you know, eight years-ish. And, and more recently, I'm just trying to maintain what I've got. So I've got three lines of business, the SEO side of it, the copy side of it, and then my own, my own digital marketing mentorship. I've got three podcasts so i've just launched a new one called copy chats nice. to replace hot copy the conference is a big deal it's a lot of work doing events yeah and then just literally the day-to-day of having memberships you know is the attrition and they're getting new people in and you know finding time to dance on reels because we have to do that for at least half an hour a day mm-hmm. these days so it's there's nothing necessarily new it's trying to find newness in existing products and then also fill the gaps, you know, like maybe your funnel isn't perfect. Maybe you could do the better email here. Yep. So just improvement and maintenance. It sounds very dull, doesn't it? But that's where I'm at. Many hats. Are you still doing copy for clients? I do. Every couple of every year I take on a couple of clients, not really for financial reasons, but more to keep my hand in. Because yep. if I'm sitting here trying to mentor people on how to have great client relationships and where to use your colon, I kind of need to know how to do that myself. Yep. So, yeah. I think that's good. Stay stay sharp. Um, yep. And in terms of the conference, who who attends a target market? When's it happening? Well, look, I'd like more people to attend it. Uh, <laughs> at the moment, it's majority freelance copywriters, so yep. people who are you know writing copy as their own business. But we are growing the audience of in-house copywriters, in-house marketers, agency copywriters, and also related industries like you know web developers, graphic designers who have to work with copywriters and don't really understand what they do. It's a great networking opportunity but you know the the presentations are broad enough that they can appeal to solo people and you know people who are working in a larger organization nice very Mm. very good initiative Mm. um this might be a really easy question to answer (laughs) or a really difficult one um what makes great copy oh it is i mean it is so subjective I, i i it's funny i think we could look at it from a an analytical editorial point of view and go well that full stop is in the perfect position and that is the absolute 
best adjectival modifier. But really, I think it's copy that gives us the feels, copy that hits us in the gut or the heart and makes us laugh or cry or feel uncomfortable. That's to me is when copy has actually shifted your perspective. So really copy that's emotional. And that's going to be different for different people. But there are some rules and truisms that apply overall. So, yeah, I think emotional copy is the best copy. Yeah, nice, 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 nice. And <laughs> what it's so hard because copy you probably touched on it there. You've got freelancers coming to the conference. You've got in-house. You've got you've alluded to it touching graphic design and web dev and that's only in a digital context how what's the process for an organization to consistently generate great copy and i think on the pod we're going to have people listening that are part of big machines lots of staff you know layers of um bureaucracy and legal and whatever else and then we're going to have organizations where they're smaller nimble you know can move things around faster but like from your observation how do businesses get great copy happening I think it starts going back to the roots of, you know, your brands, your brand values. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this to death on the podcast, but, you know, really deciding what you stand for as a business and more importantly, what you won't stand for. So really coming up with those values, but going beyond the obvious ones, like we want to be knowledgeable and professional. Everyone wants to be those, whatever. So trying to go a bit deeper and then really thinking about your brand personality on top of that, because values are one thing, they're what we believe, but how we express ourselves you know, it can't be the voice of the CFO or the CEO or the receptionist or whoever's writing the copy today. It needs to be consistent. Um, and it needs it needs to move beyond the boring. There needs to be a bit of edginess in there. Like you need to, people often when they do these customer avatars, it's all like, oh, this is Clive. He's 47, he drives a Volvo and he lives in Mossman. You know, it's like, well, that tells us nothing about Clive. You know, what is Clive waking up at 3 a.m. in the morning and thinking about? You know, what's, what are his worries? What are his fears? What is his deepest desires? That kind of customer avatar really helps, but you need that avatar of yourself, mm. of your brand. You know, it's easy for me and you because we are our brand. But as a company, like who would play your company in a movie? You know, is it Tina Fey or is it, I don't know, Melinda McCarthy? You know, who's playing you in a movie? And, and, those kind of metaphors really help other people get it. And then I think after that, that all needs to be written into some kind of Bible, some kind of document Mm -hmm. that isn't put up on a dusty shelf, but that is consistently referred to. So, you know, every month or something, you sit down, you look at all your marketing materials and go, did we hit the mark? Does this piece of this random tweet that Bob wrote, does it actually match our brand values? If not, we don't want Bob sending you more tweets. Mm. And so keeping it as a living, breathing document and having someone in the business who is who owns that and who to a degree polices that, you know? Because I think you and me, we see this all the time because we're marketers, but often you'll see brands that are hideous on Facebook. Their website is dusty and dry, but they've hired a really cool social media person who's tweeting the most hilarious tweets. Yeah. And they're brilliant, but they're completely disconnected. So it's that disconnect that I think erodes great copy. It's a good, I love it. Practically speaking, like what, what is that document called? Is it a tone style of, guide? Is it a yeah, tone of voice? Like what, tone what? of voice. And, you know, often it's funny as a copywriter, and I'm sure that the listeners will have it. When you arrive in a big corporation, they've got a brand guideline. Mm. They'll tell you exactly how many pixels you need to have around the logo and what RMG reference the text needs to be. But there is nothing about copy. There is yep. no plain English guidelines not even like a lexicon of words that the brand uses and won't use. Yep. You know, like first thing I always do with every client is say, we're not allowed to use passionate or innovative 
We're not allowed to use those words. What about leading? <laughs> we're a leading Australian. <laughs> leading, of course, cutting, bleeding edge. <laughs> That's right, cutting edge. Um, and I also ban exclamation marks because I think they sound make you sound like an excited teen and a full stop is much more emphatic. But that needs to be written down somewhere because otherwise Bob's using exclamation marks, Sue's using full stops and some other random person's using semicolons and no one knows what to do with a semicolon, yeah. let's be honest. So, yeah, I think I, I think it's it starts with that tone of voice guideline that sits that has as much priority as the design guideline why do we care so much about how our logo is represented yeah. but not worry about our tone of voice it's yeah. crazy to me. love it okay so we need a style guide to kind of manage the visual we need a tone of voice document which is our personality incorporating our values who we are who we're not words we use words we don't etc yeah. um and then having someone in the organization responsible for make, keeping it up to date and policing content yeah. against it and they're not hard to produce i've actually got a template in my copy shop for a tone of voice guideline which takes you through all of it asks you the question helps you define your usp your unique selling proposition you know and then you fill that with samples yeah so you know every if you do a really killer email or some great micro copy or even your packaging copy you know some packaging copy these days is amazing you pop that in to a Google Drive folder so people can go and look at examples of your own brand voice yeah. to get an idea when they start writing. Because copywriters will change. People move from business to business, marketing managers change, but you want the brand voice to stay the same. It's great. And I think like anything, having something well-conceived is better than having something perfect, right? Yeah, totally. Just get it it's going evolving and, yeah. and it's going to change because you're not going to get it right first time. You know, whenever I get a new client, obviously because they've seen my site and my style is quite conversational they're like we want to be we want copy like your copy we want to be really out there and really funny and really weird and then i send them the copy and they're like not that weird yeah what, what you done? <laughs> exactly <laughs> so you know and also you're going to put some words out there and they're going to fail you're not going to hit the mark or you're going to say make a joke or try and be playful and it's going to you know go sour because that happens right yeah. <laughs> we're in a cancel culture so it has to evolve and it has to be checked back on and your business evolves. I think, you know, the way that businesses represent themselves today after two years of COVID, after Black Lives Matter, after Me Too, it's very different to where we were two years ago. You simply would not talk in the same way that you talked two years ago today. It wouldn't yeah. work. So it has to evolve and you have to just keep trying. Let's go down that because you kind of, um, I, I, <laughs> I did have a question which um, was, I was intending on asking later around just how, mm. how has good digital copy changed over the years and maybe whether it's digital or not, I think that's an interesting observation you've made there, just about how the climate we've been in in the past two years, um, even seeing the way, I guess, that um, organisations in America have responded to the Supreme Court ruling yes. on Roe versus Wade. And yeah. so, yeah, like maybe just talk about your observations there, like how has copy changed, maybe even pre-COVID, like over the last 20 years, how has yeah. big picture? I think we've, we've moved away from professionalism to be honest you know i think we've moved away from corporate shiny brochures that talk in almost a, a kind of detached third person way people want to connect with other people and people want to work with businesses whose values are aligned with their own you don't want to start buying from a brand and suddenly find that they're giving money to the ku klux klan i mean that's an extreme <laughs> example but I think obviously inclusivity has become a, a real thing. We want to make everybody feel heard and listened to. And it's beyond the awful, you know, stock shots of a multiracial family running down the beach for yeah. an insurance ad. It's how we use pronouns. It's how we use adjectives. 
and you know a lot of idioms are no longer appropriate you know you wouldn't talk about Chinese whispers you wouldn't you know there's this you you have to really look at the cultural references that you're making and I think that terrifies a lot of businesses because it feels like these days you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. I saw yesterday that Canva had announced that they're going to support people who are affected by the, you know, the, the repeal of, of that law. And, you know, 99% of the comments were amazing. They wrote a really great post. But of course, the 1% were like, ah, yeah. you know, and I think this is the problem. We can't hide anymore, either as business owners or people or brands. We can't, you know, go, oh, that's a political issue. I'm not going to express my opinion on that. Or that's a human rights issue. We're not going to, we're just business. We're just mm. talking about business. Yeah. People don't want that anymore. They want to know what you stand for. Yeah. They want to know where you are on issues. And that may mean you lose some customers, but it will mean that the customers that like you, like you 10 times more because they respect you and trust you as well as like you. And respect and trust is what makes people buy. Yeah, I guess if you stand for nothing, then yeah. you kind of get nothing. You'll right? fall for anything, as they you, say. Yeah, that's it. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels, doesn't it, in terms like, the tectonic plates looking at mm. i guess the power that you kind of facebook's and your googles and apples now have at a bigger level corporations playing a role that is probably different to the one that it was 35 years ago right yeah um, exactly and they have a role to play you know the fact that a big organization i've used the canva again can come in and pretty much challenge the status quo by saying yeah you've just passed the law and we're going to help people circumvent that law mm. and there's nothing that can be done about that yeah. and that's the, you know I think with big brands comes big responsibilities these days. And, you know, you can't just shy away from those. And a lot of that is about how you express that in your copy. Yeah. You know, every tweet is analyzed. Every email that you send, someone is screen grabbing those internal comms that you wrote that you didn't really hope would go out of the business. Someone screen grabbed them hmm. and shared them somewhere. So you need to be cautious. And I think that a lot of businesses are scared of saying anything in case they say the wrong thing. Hmm. And it is a minefield, right? It is totally. It's, it's different. It's um, it's a very different dynamic to the one that we've we've had historically, right? Yeah, um, but I think the thing is, as long as you take responsibility, as long as you try, most people will appreciate the effort. And as long as you, if you make a mistake, you own it and apologize and say, "We'll try and do better." Educate us, you know. Like if you make a a faux pas with a you know a gender pronoun or something, and you know you get it wrong, hmm. and you make a mistake, and you say, "Hey, hands up." We, we've learning. Thank you. Thank you for telling us. We'll do better. That's all you can do in yeah. this modern world. So better to try than do nothing at all. It feels that um, authenticity mm. wins out, right? And probably we're going broader than, con um, than copy at the moment. But I think authenticity from a brand, it's, it's hard to... Um, people can smell a fraud generally. And we live in an age where we're making decisions um, around brands and whether we want to engage or not way before we actually speak to a representative um, absolutely whether it's review sites or google reviews or we're doing our research we're doing right? our research yeah but you know like i think it is copy because you would say like one of our brand values is we want to be authentic but how does that translate into copy because everyone wants to be authentic mm. what does that mean well it means in copy that you talk like a human that you talk to individuals you don't talk about our customers you talk to you the one person who's reading this copy right now you use short sentences you use plain english so that Anybody, even who doesn't have English as a first language, can understand your copy. Hmm. Maybe you're a bit playful. Maybe you're not overly didactic and, and salesy. Maybe you're not condescending. That's authentic. But it's also owning your flaws, sharing your bad stories and your good stories. Hmm. So when you develop these tone of voice guidelines, you need to, you can't just put, we're authentic. You need to go, well, how, 
what does that mean when I write a tweet? What does that mean when I put a post on LinkedIn? How do I be authentic on LinkedIn yeah. when so much there's so much faux authenticity on LinkedIn? Yeah. How do I do it in a way that doesn't seem fake when I'm trying to be authentic? Yeah. It is a copy challenge. And how do we do it? So we've tone of voice. That's our Bible reference point. I kind of get it, right? Mm. How do I get great copy in an organization? Am I does it have to be in-house? Am I using freelancers? Am I using a panel of people? Um, I, I would imagine that your experience is similar to mine where we go into a business and lots of copies being written by people that aren't trained copywriters, right? So like, how, how practically, what are some tips, tricks, observations on what works and what doesn't? I mean, I think there needs to be an owner of the copy in the business like that's consistently there but I often you know it takes a village to write good copy <laughs> in the you know and if you work with an agency you pay that premium because you're getting a creative director you're usually getting a designer and copywriter who are working together you're getting an account manager a producer so you've got like five or six minds looking at the creative before you see it and coming from different perspectives with different life experiences different brand experiences and sometimes you know that creative might be moved to a different creative team so then you get a whole fresh perspective but a lot of you know businesses can't afford that level of, of, of copyright copywriting service so you need to try and emulate that as best you can and it's about getting opinions but the opinions that are valuable so you know if i was i have been an in-house copywriter and often you're just on your own and there's no one to talk to there's no one to bounce your copy off there's no one to proofread it and that doesn't create great copy yeah. <laughs> that creates very stagnant copy so i think if i was um working now and I was in charge of the copy I would have a little corral of freelancers that I could call upon as and when I needed them I would you know create maybe little brainstorm sessions as I said monthly sessions to review copy that's written and talk about what you like and what you don't like but there needs to be an owner someone driving it and the thing unfortunately I'm sure you found it as well James is that copy's often the last thing that people think of because everybody thinks they can write yeah just like everyone thinks they've got good dress sense and a great sense of humor. Everyone thinks they can write, but it's a skill, it's a craft. Yeah. And often it's about knowing what to leave out, not what to include. You know, it's 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 obviously an art to it, otherwise I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was like because we back in the day we used to do a lot of web work and it was like the whole pro like it would be a three month process, right, to build a website. And literally the copy would come two weeks the last out day. from the end. <laughs> and it's like we now need to populate these and it's and I think my perspective, like the space we're in now, Google, Facebook, automation, AI, machine learning, um, it feels like ideas and storytelling and copy is the thing that will remain in 15 yeah. years time, in 30 I mean, years time. I believe that copy informs design and yeah. copy informs information architecture and copy informs UX. So for me, it's first. And I've been in your situation where literally you're like, oh, just keep the Lauren Ipsum. I can't be bothered. <laughs> you know, we've only got a day. Let's just get it live. Well, the site goes um, live with Lauren Ipsum all through. Well, that's happened more than <laughs> Terms once. and conditions some, and blogs. And... Let's be honest. Sometimes some of the Lauren Ipsum is better than the copy <laughs> that's been written. But I think, you know, talking about Google, I'm sure we were going to cover this. Google over the last two years has released multiple algorithms focused on language so we had google hummingbird several years ago that looked at why we're searching rather than just what we're searching it looked at um you know intent is this conversion intent is this information intent then more recently we've had google bert and google bert is natural language processing so it actually breaks down the constructs of your sentences into modifiers and prepositions and understands that adding a preposition like or completely transforms the meaning of the search mm. query right and then we've just had google mum 
which now can translate over 75 languages at their core level. So we've always been focused so much on English, most complex, one of the most complex languages. But, you know, we've got to remember that we just take this all for granted, but I think it's the example I use is in Webster's Dictionary, there are 645 definitions of the word run. Hmm. How is Google meant to know which one you mean? Because it looks at the context, it looks at the words around it, it looks at previous searches. But the good news for copywriters is the last algorithm update, there was a core update, um, just happened in May, actually is kind of not loving the AI content. Yeah, you know, the Jarvis's and whatever that it's, it looks good on surface, but Google can recognize it if it's overused and overdone. And at the end of the day, AI is amazing, but it, I don't know if it's right at the level yet where it can come up with ideas. Yeah. You know, it, it can play at emotion and it can drop a few idioms in, but it's not really good at really getting insight and ideas. Yeah. I think there's still time for us yet. Terrifying, <laughs> terrifying if and when it does. <laughs> So yeah, we'll be old by then. <laughs> it's all, um, all over for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> um, how do you find good copywriters? Oh, like, I mean, it's a million dollar question, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's it, right? Like, you know, let's, let's pretend um, I'm an in-house marketer. I've got four people in my marketing team. I've got a digital person and I've got an events person and you know, some other people. Um, we all write okay, but we want to have our brand talk incredibly well to our clients. Mm. Um, how do we do it? Like, do we, should a good copywriter be able to go across all industries or mediums? Should you be leaning? Like we'll often have people in quite clients in technical spaces and they want, well, I need to work with someone who's written in, you know, technical yeah. SaaS or has worked in the legal services area. Like just experience shares there. Yeah. I mean, I think for starters, if you have a bunch of people who are writing copy and it's passable and it's okay, what you might actually need is not a copywriter, but a really great editor. You know, so a great editor can cost as much as a copywriter. It's actually harder to edit copy than it is to write it. Okay. Um, you know, so even I will use an editor now and again to kind of go through my copy, cut it back, and re you know, you can you get different levels of editor. You can get proofreaders and grammar yeah, editors, but what you really want is a structural editor that actually looks at the flow of the thought. You know, do you have a beginning, a middle, and an end? Have you actually laid out your arguments in a way that makes sense? That kind of editor could be really helpful. But if you do want to find a copywriter, I mean, I do think you have to kiss a few frogs. <laughs> it's, it, you know, just like with anything, yeah. obviously you want to look on their site, make sure that they have logos and samples and testimonials. They've got some skin in the game. They've been around for a bit. They're not using some dodgy Gmail email address. You know, they've got a reputation to protect. You're not grabbing them off Upwork, $5 yeah. in the Philippines. Yeah. But then I think, you know, should they be in your niche? It can help. But you know what's also really helpful is someone that knows nothing about your niche because then they ask all the really stupid questions. So I remember I worked with a, it's a small business, but I worked with a plumber and he'd come up with this great drain that was square. We all see them now in the hotel, square and oblong mm, drains. Yeah. Remember they all used to be circle, yeah, which yeah. was a nightmare for Tyler's. So he bought this concept. He bought it to Australia and I know nothing about plumbing and, but I'm a curious person. So as a copywriter, that's a core skill. So I ask so many stupid questions. Like, well, how long would it take to install the circle one versus the square one? How much money am I going to save? Where does the water go? Doesn't it get stuck? Because it's just stupid, stupid questions. But that meant that when I wrote the copy, I came at it at an angle that most of the customers were going to get. And even people who are slightly educated about the product, they were still getting it in a language that made sense to them. So I think niche can help, but it doesn't always help because I think that... Um, you know, naive copywriters or copywriters who aren't in your space ask often ask deeper questions and don't make assumptions. 
That's yeah, that, my thought. I think that's really that's kind of um, I guess that echoes what I would say to someone about hiring a marketer, right? Yeah. Like, don't hire a marketer that's worked in your space. Hire a great marketer. Um, yeah. Because a great marketer will, doesn't assume anything. They're going to go back and look at the market. What are their pain points? How does the product fit it? What do we do? What do we not do? And build a strategy from there, right? As opposed to someone who's marketed in your space before. Yeah, and they can tend to just roll out the same strategy that they rolled out for Bob two yeah. months ago. You know, you want to for it to feel fresh. But I think a really important thing with a copywriter is the relationship. I always say to my copywriters, they won't remember the copy, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Yeah. And, you know, as we talked about, we were talking about before the show that podcasting is quite an intimate medium. Copywriting is a super intimate medium. Even if you are working in a big corporation, you're going to be talking to that person day in, day out. They really need to be able to listen to you and then reflect your words back to you in a, in a, in a better way. So they need to be great listeners. You need to have real good banter with them, good conversation. And to be honest, sometimes that overrides some of the other factors. Yeah. You know, do you enjoy talking to this person every day? Do they feel open to ideas? Do they yeah. take criticism well? Those all those personality traits are, are really as important as the skill traits, I would say. Yeah, that's good. Good, really, really good. Um, I'd now like to just discuss because it feels from your career it's copy, 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 and then kind of SEOs come into it and now they're kind of intertwined, right? Um, and it's it's kind of, it's, um, you know, we've been doing SEO for a long, long time now and it really was more of a technical pursuit, right? Back in the day, it was very much, I mean, back, back, back in the day, it was white text, white background. Oh, know. yeah, the good old days. <laughs> Just it's so much easier then. It was so How much easier. How can we do all of that now? <laughs> <laughs> and Google's kind of for years been saying, just do good marketing, oh, solve people's just problems. Just write good content. Just write good content. And it's kind of true now, right? So it is this, these two intermeshed disciplines. Um, yeah, just maybe talk a little bit about your observations there and the intersection of good copy with good SEO. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I come from a creative background, but I am a geek. So I built all my websites in WordPress. And, you know, back then the platforms weren't as sophisticated. I think the joy that we have these days is the content management systems are solving a lot of the tech issues for us. Yeah. So we don't have to be worrying too much about schema or AMP or whatever, because there's a plugin that will do that for us pretty much. Um, so yeah, there is an intersection, but I think it's very important to learn the tech as well. So, you know, I teach SEO copywriting. I have a whole course that teaches, but it doesn't just teach the copy or the keywords because you can't outwrite poor technical SEO, just yeah. like you can't out-exercise poor nutrition, you know, site speed, crawlability, responsiveness, those are the first things you fix. And then you do the copy. And unfortunately, many clients, you know, as I said, copy should come first. When it comes to websites, the tech stuff needs to come first. I've yeah. had people come on my course who've been blogging for a year and they have nothing indexed. And it's because they accidentally checked some box or their robots.txt, the developer blocked everything yeah. and they never unblocked it. So there is a massive intersection. I still think there is a lot of tech stuff that can be done. Most businesses... They're not at the bleeding edge, see, I used it, of SEO. <laughs> I'm not allowed to use that word, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't, you know, they don't need, you know, they're not at the level where they need to do these amazing technical, you know, changing to Google fonts to shave off 1.2 nth of a second, you know. But if you're like working with NAB and they're up against Commonwealth Bank and everyone wants the keyword home loan, you need to be amazing, not just at the content, but the backlinks and the tech. So it is an intersection. Content has always been important. And at the end of the day, you know, overly SEO'd, white text on a background, you know, shoving keywords everywhere might get Google to your door, 
or you know for a brief while until you get a penalty but the thing is the copy and the ux and the design are what people drag people through and yeah. can make them convert so you can rank number one for that keyword because you've done all the tricks but i get to your page and it's crappy yeah and it's no emotion and i don't care and the pictures are awful and i don't want to buy so after a while google's going to see that you're po going out of that first place ranking to the next result and you're going to lose your ranking anyway so yeah it is a massive intersection and all I'm thinking of Trivial Pursuit. I'm showing my age. Um, you know, you had all the little pieces of the pie. Yeah. You can't just do two of the pie pieces. You yeah. need all the pieces of the pie. Yeah. I think that's good. That's That kind of um, definitely echoes what we find, which is, yeah. the, I don't know when it exactly flipped, but it definitely flipped from it's a technical pursuit, create your mm. 500 to 700 word blog articles with the keyword in it six times, pump it live and do, <laughs> do two of them a week and that's SEO. And I... I don't know. I kind of feel maybe five years ago, everything it worked. Yeah, it worked really well. That's it. But it's like we said, you know, like the the world has changed, and Google is trying to reflect the world. So it's you know, what what makes the human heart decide to buy from that brand and the other? It's not the percentage of keywords on the phrase mm. on the page. It's it's not even how fast the site loads because sometimes you'll wait if yeah. you're really keen. It's it's a connection. It's a feeling in your belly that you can't quite put your finger on. Mm. I often try and sort of say to a client, shut your eyes and think about why you're wearing those jeans, not the other jeans. Mm. Why did you choose them? There's so many factors go into it. You saw one ad on Instagram or your mate wore them or they remind you of something that happened when you were 12. Yeah, That's all emotion. That's not mathematics and that's not tech. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it is a flip, but the tech is still important. People. Yeah, it really is. And I think we do as, as digital marketers, it's kind of, we've always had this dollar in, dollar out click through rate conversion rate mentality and it's um it's we're kind of moving away from that now right like if you genuinely to be emotional james it's it's hard it's not easy to be emotional <laughs> kate <laughs> um it's, this yeah I, I think the next thing i'd like to discuss like how do you know if your copy's performing because it is hard right like you've kind of just mentioned there's it is part of it is gut and emotion and a lot of what we're doing now in digital isn't quantifiable when i think once we thought we had complete control over that so what are the um, what are the, the symptoms that, yeah, okay, our copy is working. We're, we're, we've, we've implemented tone of voice and we've got this um, person that, you know, is holding everyone to account and we feel it's moving in the right direction, but how do we actually judge it? Well, I think it's about what your objective is in the first place. So, you know, if your objective is, if your objective is to make, get conversions, well, then it's going to be more revenue, you know, less traffic, more revenue, more whatever. But if your objective is engagement and relationship building and all that top of funnel stuff, then it might be something like how long people are spending on the page, how many pages are they viewing, how often are they engaging with the content, leaving a comment. Um, if it's, you know, a brand awareness and authority, then it might be how often is this content shared? with other people, how often is it linked to as an authority source? So I think it does depend on the objective upfront and different metrics will apply. The metric that least applies often is ranking because mm -hmm. ranking is one of the things that you can least control as you know, because yep. it's impacted by what everyone else is doing. So you can, obviously you want to get number one ranking or number two if you can, but really beyond that, you need to be looking at, you know, how long did people stay on the page? How many people clicked away immediately? What was their exit point? You know, did they go through several pages and read multiple content? Um, did they leave a comment? Did they share it with a mate? You know, did they sign up to the email list? Those I think are the more interesting metrics. Yeah. Um, you know, classic, I mean, I still think email marketing is one of the most powerful 
marketing tools. You know, I love SEO, I love a bit of SEO. But <laughs> after that, for me, as a personal brand, my list is everything. Yeah. And, you know, what I love is when I send out a piece of pretty much marketing communication and I get a personal response back saying yeah. something like, oh, my God, this email really made me think this. That to me is I don't care. You know, yes, money will come. Yeah. But that to me, when someone reaches out and makes a personal connection with you, I think that's per really it. And I think a lot of brands see that as terrifying. You know, they don't want to have a Facebook page because what if people comment? They don't want to send out emails or they send emails out with no reply because what if people reply? If someone replies, that is gold. That is heaven. That is exactly what you want. Yeah. Fantastic. You like, know. We get my mum replying. No joke. Oh, do you? All the time. Yeah. She, she doesn't realize it's coming from HubSpot. It's my mum is the only person who comments on like my reels and stories and she takes everything <laughs> literally. So if I'm doing something melodramatic, she's like sending me a message are going, Catherine, okay? Catherine, are you okay? <laughs> In a Northern English accent. So yeah, thanks mum. It's, um, it's a good, and that kind of ties back into, I, I think the shifting sands, right? Where mm. it used to be brand and then customers and potential clients and now it's yeah it's like we were up it's like brands were like up on high and we are untouchable and you will buy our products or yeah. die yeah. and now like the customer really is in the control seat yeah. and they have so many choices that if you want them to like you you have to work for it yeah. you know you have to try a little bit harder because <laughs> it is am i probably um i use this analogy all like way too much but it is the old if you're selling insurance you're doing it door to door and you have all the information and you have the control or if you're selling a car back in the day it's it's a, a salesman in a dealership with the brochure and these are the specs and um has the not anymore it's you know 900 touch points through google which is the google yes. data on if you're buying a car you come into the dealership ready to rock and roll and i think it's 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 not just auto and it's not just travel it's all industries it's b2b it's it's b2c it's across the board right it is and it's and, it, and, you, and you don't really know I'm doing some Facebook ads at the moment and you know my Facebook ads person is delighted because she's doing getting great conversions but you know the truth is that these some of these people have been on my list for years yeah. you know they've listened to the podcast they've done this maybe the ad was the final point they clicked yeah but it is quite hard as, as marketers because we want to track everything and sometimes it is quite hard to track through analytics where they were before yeah. and i find one of the most useful things is the anecdotal so you know when anyone joins my thing i'll say how did you find me and i often get this kind of monologue yeah well you know i remember i mentioned someone mentioned you my cousin bob and then i went here and i did and i can't or someone will say i don't know i'd never heard of you and then all of a sudden you were everywhere yeah like the whole yellow Green. car idea yeah, yeah. You, you know and and that is hard for us marketers because then how do you move the, the needle? Okay, well, we need more yellow cars. We need, yeah. we need Bob to mention us to more people. It's harder. And, and so therefore, it, it, people don't like that. And so they go back to ads and, yeah. and, and the immeasurable stuff, whereas sometimes the immeasurable stuff is more powerful. Yeah. And, it, and that's like a, with a rocket, right? We very rarely would land a client that clicked on a Google ad and had yeah. never heard. It. It's, and same as us talking before the pod. Like we, yeah. we feel like we've known each other for years. We've loitered but, yeah, and, and lurked. It's the lurking factor, yeah, isn't it? Like, it. And, and then you actually get to meet and awkwardly like launch into a conversation as we did, as if we just talked last week. Yeah. We've never met. Yeah. But, you know, once I've listened to your podcast, wandering around the garden, you know, yeah. picking up dog poo, then I feel connected Which is how to I you. hope everyone listens to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not doing that now, please go do it. But it's, you know, it's an intimate thing and i'm just not sure that you can put a metric on that yeah i think that's right um you, you touched on email marketing maybe just any because it is obviously a big part of copyright um for mm. a lot of organizations like just tips and tricks what works what doesn't observations there 
Yeah, I mean, back in the day, I was the email marketing manager for O2 in the UK, yeah. and they were doing clever things back then that people are only starting to do now. I mean, I think the sophistication of the tools these days really doesn't, there's no excuses for sending bland, generic emails. You know, you can tag the absolute crap out of people. You know, everything they've done, what pages they've looked at. And while you don't want to make that clear to the user, because that's creepy, you want to uh, tailor your messages as much as you can so that we are getting back to the one-to-one car salesman Hmm. we've gone all those touch points to the point where we are back to -to one-to-one it's just me and my inbox and your email Hmm. so that email needs to speak to me so it's really the data behind the email that does the tricks and then the copy again informal conversational you know apologetic if you stuff up you know, your delivery didn't come, you know, we're sorry, we're having a bit of a crap time at the moment with COVID and whatever, not, you know, your email will be answered in 24 hours by blah, 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 you know, direct language, active language. Um, I think always I would go with clarity over creativity in a subject line, you know, on a mobile device, that subject line is going to be shut down to like 13 characters. So be careful where it cuts off. I've seen some embarrassing mistakes there too, but just warmth. Yep. You know, not not ridiculous, pointless personalization for the sake of it. You know, friendly salutations, nice closes, it coming from a person. And for the love of all things holy, let people reply. Do not yeah, no. deny them the opportunity to reply just because you want them to go to your customer service form on the website and fill yeah. out. Because you know, for, let for people your respond. benefit, not their. Yeah, for your benefit. Yeah. Let the customer contact you how they want to and then work out a process that, you know, mitigates that effort so yeah i think again it's warmth it's conversation and it's relationships what are some brands that you think do a great job of copy oh gosh well obviously mine uh (laughs) you know like i think some of the brands that we all talk about i think canva does a great job considering their design i'm obsessed with them aren't i've mentioned them three times (laughs) someone someone's getting a cash for comments sponsor this sponsor (laughs) this podcast immediately um who gives a crap it's a toilet world brand so good yeah I've been working with, uh, I've been ordering a new brand. Um, um, my dog has Marley Spoon, right? So, you know, Marley yep. Spoon, HelloFresh. I got Marley Spoon for my dog. It's called Dinner Bowl. Um, and some of their language is really cute. Like it's actually, they talk to the dog, cute, not the owner. Yep. And, and, and even just a little thing like that and the way they, you know, they describe, they don't just say dog, they say your pup or your fur beast or your fur kid. That's how we talk, us weird dog people. So they've warmed it up. And I think the, the, the best copy, the copy that, get screen grabbed and shared in my copywriting community i've got about 400 members there who are all like freelancers it's like that bit of micro copy you know when you open the box and on the underside of the flap they've just written something funny yeah and you're like that's genius and who gives a crap is awesome like i've I've every term with that brand it's um yes always great was down in um tazzy for dark mofo and mona kind of do some like every bit of copy every bit of creative is just on point yeah, you know it's, it's a brand you'd love to work for, yeah, right? You brilliant. know, and there was the, you know, Innocent Drinks is often quoted as well. But I think it is those quirky startups that have come up maybe in the last couple of years, a lot of them in response to COVID and, and trying times. And they are just pushing the boundaries. And, I'm, you know, another brand I quite like is Dresden, which is a glasses brand. Yeah, okay. glasses here. Yeah. You know, and they're pushing the boundaries that they're changing the conversation about why the glasses need to cost $500 when really they cost about 50, yeah. you know, and, and they're being playful about it. And I think a lot of brands are still like clutching their pearls and too terrified to enter the arena of playfulness in case they mess up. 
but you have to mess up sometimes to to, to proceed you know okay. to up level there we go i said up level to leverage your brand <laughs> leverage synergy <laughs> synergistic synergy um, innovative the, synergy. <laughs> the, la- the last area i just wanted to dig into just your like advice on whether i'm a copywriter or i'm responsible for writing copy but don't think of myself as one um, practical places i can go courses um maybe it's yours maybe it's not conferences just like what if you were in that role responsible for copy in an organization where would you be looking to learn and grow and and evolve well obviously i'd love for you to come to CopyCon, but in reality um and we have a virtual ticket by the way if you don't want no to come, come on plug it plug it hard when is it yeah man you'll come in i want you to come now <laughs> it's in october okay um um but i think there's an amazing woman in the u.s called joanna weeb who has some amazing free resources and and courses all around like 10 times your email writing sales pages writing she's she's amazing american so you know you may have to change the tone a little bit for australia tone it down a little yeah um but you know i think there are there's a million courses and a lot of copywriters will do course after course just to give themselves a confidence and affirmation in reality the best (laughs) copywriting thing is to write it and to put it out into the world and get feedback to find a great editor who can help you overcome some of your grammatical difficulties because mm-hmm. you know not all of us were taught that well at school yeah. um, and then to follow brands that you love so most copywriters will have what they call a swipe file where they're just keeping stuff that's a great headline oh wow. i love the call to action oh that's a fantastic closer and they just keep that and use it and, and open it up whenever they need to um you know, create something. And then using a couple of tools, like I love Hemingway app. It's a free app online that will look at your copy, keep the readability level down. You want to keep it around grade seven or eight. Yeah, right. Um, there are great plain English tools that will look at your copy and say, this this is not going to be easy for someone to read if they have English as a, th- a second language. Yep. So use the tools as well. You know, there's lots of great tools out there. That Grammarly is-, is great too. Yeah, I think we use we use Grammarly, or a lot of us do in the in the agency. That's yeah. awesome. I think there's so much, whether you're a copywriter or not. I think if you're an in-house marketer, some great stuff there around copy. It's emotional. The importance of just structurally tone of you yeah. need a tone of voice document. It needs to be policed. It needs to be real. It needs to kind of yeah. represent who you are. Um, I think we've moved away from this formal. I'm the brand, and you will listen to what I say. To this kind <laughs> yeah. of almost this conversation, right? Where we've got this, yeah. this different dynamic happening. Um, I really like the idea that if you're in, in-house and you're struggling, it's kind of have your panel of copywriters that you can get feedback from, that you sit down once a month, look at your assets. Um, and I'd, I'd never even thought of the idea of just leaning on an editor, like just someone that not even responsible for creating the copy, but actually yeah. just helping make it work. Um, I didn't know that we had 645 words for, uh, to say run I have English. to go and check that now I bet it's like 643 <laughs> I'm gonna look a fool well it's a lot you know it's I like that because we always hear about other languages and snow you know having like 15 yes. different words for snow but we've got even yep. more for run because English is a, a weird language it's a beast it is a beast um but that's great so much good practical stuff um where can we find you well, thankfully, I'm okay at my Google. Yep. So if you type Kate Toon into Google, you'll find one of my eight websites. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I've got a problem. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you can start your adventures into the copywriting world, should you wish, or even the SEO world if you're braver. I like it. And then the last question, which is one I often ask, is the one piece of advice that you give to an in-house marketer making their way through their career and their business? Oh, gosh, I think it's... 
I think you have to have labia of steel. I was going to say balls of steel, but I'm going to go with the feminine version. I think too often the marketer is kind of the end person who has to solve so many other people's problems. You know, the product manager has messed up this, the deadline's tomorrow, and you're supposed to kind of make it all look pretty and push it out there. And it's, it's quite a thankless job, I think, sometimes, and don't get the recognition you deserve. So you need to stand up for what you believe like we're talking about the copy and say look we're not putting that copy out there it yeah. is not on brand and in, and you may not see that but i see it so i think it's to be brave and to have disruptive conversations and be prepared to be unpopular love it go. that's a great way to end the pod kate <laughs> toon thank you so much for coming onto the podcast i've loved it thank you very much thanks for listening to the smarter marketer podcast Stay up to date about new episodes on LinkedIn and Instagram by searching for Smarter Marketer Podcast. You can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, jamesl at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.